welcome to Simply by Grace, a podcast of Grace Life Ministries with founder and director, Dr. Charlie Bing. This podcast and other helpful resources can be found at our website, gracelife.org. Now, here's Dr. Bing. I'm glad you joined us for today's podcast. We're going through a special series called Simply by Grace, the book. When I wrote Simply by Grace, I never dreamed it would have such an impact and be translated into a dozen languages with more in the works. It's published in English by Kriegel, and you can get the book at our website, gracelife.org, or on Amazon, or wherever you buy your paperback or digital books. Like a lot of folks, you might want to buy a bunch and hand them out to people who need a better understanding of God's amazing grace. Grace Life ministers around the United States and the world sharing the gospel of grace with unbelievers and the grace of the gospel with believers. Our ministry is supported by folks just like you, and that too can be done on our website, gracelife.org. What we'll do now is read a chapter of Simply by Grace and follow that with an interview on the topic of that chapter with someone who's going to give further insights about that aspect of God's grace. So, if you're ready, we'll dive into the book. Chapter 10, A New Life Grace has given us the gift of salvation, which we receive through faith. There is only one thing better than receiving a free gift. Enjoying it. Grace opens up new experiences in a relationship with God that were not possible before we were saved. A New Resource The grace that saves us leads us into an even greater experience of grace. Romans 5, 1-2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The peace of God mentioned here does not refer to an internal peace of heart, but refers to the removal of all enmity between us and God. God's anger at our sin has been removed. We have a new relationship with Him as believers, a peaceful one. This new relationship made possible by Christ also gives us access to more grace. This grace is God's provision for whatever is needed to live the Christian life until we are finally glorified with Christ in eternity. Faith gives us access to the benefits of grace in the new life. We trust God to meet our needs as He promises. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Everything we need to live for Jesus Christ and to serve Him is by His grace and sufficiency. The Apostle Paul experienced that in his life and ministry, as he said in 2 Corinthians 3, 4-5. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. When Paul was suffering a severe trial, Jesus told him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12.9 The new life must be lived by faith in God's power and provision. Faith allows Jesus to live his life through us. In Galatians 2.20, Paul expresses his reliance on Jesus Christ's life in him. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The Christian life is a life of faith, but we cannot live it on our own. We walk by faith in Jesus Christ who lives in us. Just as grace was necessary for our justification, so also grace is necessary for our sanctification. Sanctification is the progressive, ongoing aspect of our Christian growth. It literally means to be set aside to God. In other words, to become more like Him. In sanctification, grace provides us with a new access, a new identity, a new power, and a new motivation to be more like Jesus Christ. It is important to see the distinction between justification and sanctification. There is only one condition for justification, belief in Christ as Savior. But sanctification involves belief in Christ as our new master, whom we must serve in obedience and works, 
Works do not determine our justification, but they are indispensable to our sanctification. Justification happens the moment we believe, but sanctification happens over our lifetimes. Justification is receiving God's life. Sanctification is living it. A New Identity A lot happened when we were saved or justified. We were born into God's family. We were transferred from death or separation from God into life or union with God. We received God's life. We were adopted as children of God. We have a new identity in Christ. A central passage about our new identity is Romans chapter 6. In this chapter, Paul answers the objections that grace might encourage us to sin. He argues that it does not. We have a new identity because we are joined to Jesus Christ. In Romans 6, 3-5, we read, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. The baptism mentioned in this passage is not water baptism. A physical act could never accomplish a spiritual reality. To baptize means literally to immerse. Paul is describing what happens when we believe in Christ as our Savior. We are immersed or placed into the spiritual body of Christ. The means by which God does this is His Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.13 says, For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink into one Spirit. Every person who believes is baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. This baptism unites us with Christ so that just as He died to sin, so have we. Romans 6, 6-7 says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. The crucifixion of our old man, or the body of sin, which is done away with, refers to the overthrow of sin's power in us, in our bodies. Though we are saved, we carry with us the effects of our old lives under the power of sin. But now we have a new master. We are slaves of Christ. Therefore, we are free from the old master, sin. It is important to understand that our sin nature is not destroyed or annihilated. It is overpowered. When a jet plane takes off, it does not destroy the law of gravity. It overpowers it with the law of aerodynamics. As slaves to a new master, Jesus, we no longer have to answer to the demands made by our old master, sin. If, for example, a man or woman moves to the United States and becomes a citizen, that person no longer has to live under the laws of his or her old country. Before we were saved, we had no power to overcome sin. We were like a car with only a reverse gear. But in our new lives, we are like a car with forward gears. We have the ability, through Christ, to live for God. It is also important to realize that we are united with Christ not only in His death, but also in His resurrection so that we can walk in a new life. Romans 6.8 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. And then Romans 6.11 says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word reckon means to come to an informed and conscious conclusion. When we evaluate the facts about Christ's death and resurrection and our union with Him, we must consider ourselves dead to the old master of sin and alive to the new master, Jesus. We have a new identity as sons of God through Jesus Christ. The practical implication of this is expressed in Romans 6, verses 12 through 13. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Our obedience to our new master is carried out in how we use our bodies, 
which includes our minds. If we choose to sin, we will experience a sense of separation from God, which is described in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But the same verse tells us that if we willingly offer ourselves to God for His service, we will experience God's righteousness and holiness, or what is called God's eternal life. Quote, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23 For a believer, sin is related to fellowship, not salvation. Sin interrupts the joy of experiencing Jesus' gift of eternal life, the life of God who is in us. As Christians, we must choose to live in our new identities as children of God and servants of God. When we do so, we will not return to serve our old master, sin. We will grow in our experience of God's eternal life. A new power. Another key factor about living our new lives is that we cannot do it by our own effort. In Romans 7:14 through 23, Paul describes his effort to live for God, but in his own strength. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If, then, I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Perhaps you have felt the same frustration of trying to do what you know is right only to fail and do what you know is wrong. Paul describes the struggle we have with the sin that remains in us. Though sin no longer has the right to rule over us, it can sometimes exert itself powerfully, just as a snake with its head cut off is doomed but can still writhe for quite a while afterward, so the rule of death is doomed but its influence can still be felt in our bodies. Paul's struggle with sin was so intense he cried out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 7.24 In our struggle with sin, how can we overcome the victory? If we can't do it in our own strength, what power can overcome our sinful urges so that we can obey God and do right. Paul answers this for us in Romans 7, verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. To live in victory over sin, we must allow the Lord Jesus Christ to live his life through us. His life is God's gracious gift to us, the gift of eternal life. The way that Jesus lives in us is through His Holy Spirit who indwells us. We must fix our mind on the Spirit so that the Spirit can control our minds, because our minds control our bodies. The power of the Holy Spirit exerted over our minds will give us victory over sin. Romans 8 verses 1 through 6 contrasts the life controlled by the flesh with the life controlled by the Spirit. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace.
We cannot live the Christian life by the flesh, which means by our own efforts. It is not a matter of trying harder. We need a supernatural power assist, the Holy Spirit, God's gift to us. When we allow the Spirit to control our minds, we will obey God and live righteously. The power of the Spirit overpowers the effects of sin and death in us. A caterpillar is confined to the earth by the law of gravity until it grows wings. Then it can fly above the earth because the law of aerodynamics gives it a new power over gravity. When God's Spirit is allowed to control our minds, we are able to do what is right. We will enjoy His life as He lives through us. A New Motivation But why do we want to live to please God? Why would we feel the frustration that Paul expressed about doing the wrong things when we know the right? Before we came to know Christ, life was likely motivated by fear to some degree, a constant nagging fear that we will be judged and condemned for our sin, the feeling that we have not done enough to please God. But in our new life in Christ, we are no longer in bondage to fear because we are now children of God. As children of a loving and gracious Heavenly Father, we want to please Him. Romans 12.1 is a pivotal passage in the epistle and crucial in our discussion of a new motivation. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. One clue that this passage is pivotal is the word, therefore. Paul is drawing a conclusion from his previous discussion in chapters 1-11. through In short, those chapters demonstrate God's grace to us from our justification through our sanctification, our eternal security, and our divine selection. What is the only reasonable response to the overwhelming and tenacious grace of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ? It is to surrender ourselves to Him as a sacrifice, a living sacrifice useful to God. Our bodies contain all of us, our minds, our wills, and our members that can serve God. But again, why would we do this? It is not required of us to keep our salvation. When we realize how God's grace has blessed us, we might want to do it out of gratitude. We might also do it out of love because we realize He loved us first. 1 John 4.19 Love begets love. We might surrender ourselves to His service because we realize that what we do has eternal significance with consequences that stretch into eternity. These are all new motivations for us who once lived in fear and uncertainty. Romans 6.23 says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What profound words! Because of God's gift, we have a new life in which we have access to all the resources of God to live a godly life. We also have a new identity in Jesus Christ. He is our new master. By God's grace, we have the Holy Spirit to give us power over sin. And because of God's grace, we have new motivations to serve Him. Love, gratitude, and eternal significance. Truly, His grace is sufficient. Review questions. 1. Explain how salvation by grace can lead us to a greater experience of grace. 2. In what ways can Christians continue to experience God's grace? 3. What are some implications of having a new identity? 4. What should be the prevailing motivation for living a godly life? Well, we're going to continue thinking about what it means to have a new life. And we're going to do that with our guest today, Pastor Jeremy Vance who pastors Faith Church in um, Manitowoc, Wisconsin. He pastored before that, I believe, in Illinois. He got his master's from Phoenix Seminary, is working on his doctorate, and almost finished that with Grace School of Theology. And we're happy to have him as a friend today. Welcome, Jeremy. Thank you, Charlie. Thanks for and having me on this podcast. Jeremy has become a good friend. He'd be a better friend if he didn't catch fish bigger than me and shoot more deer than me. But but I try to overlook that. He is also, by the way, the uh, current president of the Free Grace Alliance and leading that organization very competently. 
We had a great conference in October, and we hope that you can join us some October. But we, maybe we can talk about that later. I'll, we can get to that later. What we want to talk about, though, uh, today is the new life that Grace brings us because we've been seeing, if anybody's been following the series, how grace is important to our salvation, our security, our assurance. But oftentimes we don't emphasize grace in the Christian life. Um, so grace is central to our salvation, but can you explain to us how grace is central to our Christian life? Yes, well, um, it is it is the transforming power of God that brings that transformation into our lives. And the only reason why the work of God in our lives to change us, to set us apart to be more like Christ, to set us apart to be more holy, the, the understanding of the word sanctification, the only reason why God is involved is because of his grace. He's involved in our, our lives today and bringing us where he wants to take us. He is involved in that strictly because of his infinite goodness to us that we don't deserve. So he doesn't bring about, uh, he doesn't impact our lives. He doesn't bring about change in our lives. He doesn't work things out for us. He doesn't give us the wisdom that we need in the moment and all that kind of stuff because somehow we've earned it. He does it strictly because he's a good God. He, he loves us infinitely, and that love never changes. And out of his infinite goodness, and not because of something that we've done, he wants to make a difference in our lives. So, so really, our transformation and our daily living as he would desire for us to live is not based on merits of our own or ultimately efforts of our own. We can dig into that a little deeper, but based on really allowing him to bring about that transformation. Well, grace, of course, is important in our salvation. And you mentioned the word sanctification. Uh, and, and so I believe you're telling us that grace is important in sanctification too. That's something I don't think a lot of Christians grasp because they think, well, I got my ticket to heaven by grace. and and that kind of stops the flow at that point, and the rest is up to me to live a good life. Uh, so how do you distinguish, first of all, between justification and sanctification? And then what is the purpose of sanctification? Why not just get a ticket to heaven and, and stop there? Yeah, let me start by, um, first of all, sharing with you and our listeners my understanding, my definition of the offer of the gospel. Okay. When we put our faith in Jesus as our Savior, we know that he died on the cross to pay our penalty for our sins, and he rose from the grave to give us this gift of eternal life, and we receive that gift by faith. Um, we, don't, we don't have to perform something to earn it. Um, it's, it's a free gift. It's something that costs us nothing and costs Jesus and God the Father uh, everything. So um, he dying for us, and then rising from the grave and offering this gift, uh, when we receive that by, by faith, he places us in a position of righteousness. He adopts us into his family. He forgives all of our sins. This is, justification is, well, I'm not sure how deep of words to use, but the idea of the atonement, paying, you know, uh, he's, he's our substitute. He, he paid it off for us. And then we are positioned as righteous because of Christ's righteousness, not because of our own. So justification is that positional movement from being guilty of our sins to being uh, completely forgiven of them. And then, but why? Why does he do this? So the offer of the gospel is not, he's saving us so that when we die, we go to heaven. That's not why he's actually saving us. He's saving us so that we can enter into a relationship with him that starts today and lasts forever. And so going to heaven when we die is really a byproduct of the offer of the gospel. So, um, so we, 
when we enter into this relationship, it's like as, as an adopted child, which by the way, I have adopted children. I have two daughters that are adopted. Um, I paid all the price to adopt them. They're from China. So I went and got them from China and brought them home to be with me. Um, these, this was years ago, but uh, they are, I have two biological children too. Our adopted children, our biological children equal in our hearts. There's no distinction between, the, between them. And so like the adoption was really on me to do, our adoption is on God and on his son, Jesus. And we enter into the eternal family of God all on what he has done for us. But my relationship with my daughters over the years is because they invest in the relationship with me and I continue to invest in the relationship with them. And now that they're teenagers, um, still this relationship is two-way. And uh, the sanctification, growing closer to, to the Lord, walking in step with the Lord, is a two-way interaction. And that two-way interaction is this sanctification process that God wants to continue to grow us in our relationship with him. And, and, and what happens as we do that is we become more like Christ and we, um, you know, sin that has entangled us, uh, those chains can be loosened through God's grace and sanctifying work in our lives. Um, and wisdom can be had by God's work in our lives to give us the wisdom that we need, um, priorities changing in alignment with what God wants our priorities to, priorities to be, et cetera, et cetera. That's all done by the power of the Lord in our lives as we allow him to bring about that change. It's not done by our own fleshly strength. It's done because we have this relationship with him and we keep humbly walking with him and he will bring about that change. So salvation is not the end or the goal. In fact, that's really the beginning of a new relationship and a new life, a new position in Christ. I like the illustration of adoption that pictures a whole new life uh, that somebody can enjoy. Uh, sometimes people talk about having a new identity in Christ. I mean, we're called Christians, but how does grace fundamentally give us a new identity? And, and why is, and how is that significant? Well, um, even in the things that I said, the, the, the old has gone, the new has come. We are new creatures in Christ. So our identity before we put our faith in Jesus was without Jesus. And now our identity is in Jesus. Um, Jesus said in John 3, I think verses 3 through 5, first he said, you cannot even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. And then in verse 5, he says, you cannot be in the kingdom of God unless you're born again. So when we put our faith in Jesus, like I was saying, he actually sends his Holy Spirit to be in us. And so our new identity is being born again. The Holy Spirit is now inside of us. By the way, when we're talking about sanctification and all these changes that are happening, they're happening because the Holy Spirit is in us, mm -hmm. because God sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us. So this new identity is um, now I'm a Christian before I wasn't. Now I'm born again. The Holy Spirit is in me before I wasn't. Now I'm I'm my identity is in Jesus Christ, not in myself. And so now that new identity is in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of those truths, I think, come out in Romans chapter six. Um, but I think a lot of Christians get hung up like Paul did at the first part of Romans chapter seven, because they think, well, I'm a new person. I have a new identity. I'm a child of God. So therefore, uh, I shouldn't sin anymore. And life, life should be a lot easier than it is. And yet we see in chapter seven of Romans, Paul struggling. Uh, what, what is this problem there? Why, how do you explain this tension between we know that we're children of God and his spirit is in us and that we have a new identity and new position, and yet we struggle with sin constantly? And how do we overcome that sin in our lives? Yes. Well, and Charlie, I know um, you have 
more education and you're a little bit older, you've been a Christian a little longer. I thought you were going to say I had more sin than you, so. <laughs> well, that's between you and Jesus, really. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my recollection, and you can correct me if I'm mistaken here, I believe Paul was a Christian for about 25 years before he wrote the book of Romans. And so 25 years into it, he's he's moved to write that which I don't want to do, I do, and that which I want to do, I don't do. And and so he's been a Christian a, a while, and he still wrestles with battling the old nature, the sin nature. When we are saved, justified, justification, we grow in sanctification, but we're not perfect and nor will we be perfect however yeah we will still have sin that we that's in our lives um i just i just confessed to my wife the other day not that this is a confessional but <laughs> when i'm when i'm under stress mean words can still come out of my mouth and oh, this I've is, said, I said all the time to my wife, I warn her when I'm under stress. <laughs> <laughs> but God wants to, you know, that I don't want mean words to come out of my mouth toward my wife. No. Of course. But that which I don't want to do, I do. I still have sin in my life that I know God wants to continue to sanctify me in. Now, let me talk just briefly, if, if you don't mind, on how this operates. All right. So we understand, we understand this sin is in our life or this thing that isn't right, something that I don't want to do, I do, or something that I do that, um, that I shouldn't be doing, or whatever. Um, so what, what Paul writes in Romans 6 is that we present these members of our bodies to God that are instruments of unrighteousness. Um, matter of fact, let me just, if you don't mind, can I read it just yeah, quickly? Yeah, sure. So starting in verse... 11 of Romans 6, Paul, and this is right before he talks about all the struggle that he has, but he says, so you two consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So first of all, as a Christian, we just have to identify, listen, I'm, I'm living for, I'm living uh, alive to God in Christ Jesus. And I, I'm just going to say that sin is not going to ultimately, as I'll read here, have mastery over me. I'm, I'm going to, I'm dead to this sin and God is going to clear it up. So then he goes on, therefore, sin shall not reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. It doesn't have to have mastery over you. And do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. So he's saying this sanctification process is don't, you're tempted, don't go down the path. Don't, don't turn to Jesus in the moment so that he can continue to weed that stuff out of you. But present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead, and your body as part as body parts as instruments of righteousness to God. So God, I give you my mean tongue that lashes out every so often. Please change this tongue so that you know it imparts grace to the hearer rather than mean things mm -hmm. to the hearer. And I love verse fourteen, and this is really the verse I want to get to. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law but under grace i think if the mindset is oh man i did it again you know i said something mean to my wife and i'm just going to fix that i'm not i'm not i'm going to recommit myself to never doing that again that's like by my flesh by my own strength and i'm so frustrated with it i'm going to this is going to get out of my life and what i think paul is writing here is no you can't get it out of your life but Jesus will get it out of your life. So present those things to him, and he'll change those instruments of unrighteousness into instruments of righteousness. And so we present it to him because we're not under the law where I'm going to, I have to do this because it tells me to, but we're under grace where it's like Jesus loves us so much. He wants to bring that transformation in us. So we have to let him do it. We really have to yield ourselves over to him. So going, going back to the illustration, for example, of adoption or, or birth into the new family, I think God expects his children to stumble and fall every now and then, just like any parent expects their babies to. And uh, sin, as much as we might hate to do it and not want to do it, is going to be a part of our lives until we're glorified 
and made like him. We need to learn to deal with it. But some Christians get so down on themselves about it and and identify with their sinful nature rather than with their new uh, nature in Jesus Christ and siding with that. Um, and, and they're a little bit too hard on themselves and they carry around a lot of guilt. But I think God's given us a way out of that guilt by confessing our sins and being restored in fellowship with him. Um, so you're saying that just reliance on the flesh and making resolutions and determination isn't enough. It really takes a walk with the spirit. I am emphasizing that, and I will emphasize that. I just had a conversation with a longtime friend of mine wrestling with sin. And I said to him, I said, quit giving it so much energy. Quit giving your failure uh, to fall to sin so much energy and just keep giving yourself to our loving Savior who's going to change you. He wants to change you. You just have to allow him to change you. I think you hit it nail on the head when you said, I think as Christians, we can get so caught up, especially those Christians who are quite analytical, so caught up in, oh, man, I failed again, you know, which is what Paul, I think, was saying in chapter 7. Um, but but uh, interesting in chapter 8 of Romans in verse 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My friend kept condemning himself and condemning himself. Uh -huh. I keep failing. And I said, just quit wallowing in the failures and, and just keep turning it over to Jesus. Keep talking to your Savior who loves you so much. And I'm telling you, when you don't give it the energy that I think Satan wants us to keep focusing on all our failures, uh, I'm not saying ignore them. I'm not saying, like, close your eyes and it's not there, because it is. But, okay, when you see it, confess. Yeah. Trust that Jesus really does want to change you. And just rest in that truth, allowing him to continue to transform you from the inside out. I think sometimes it's hard for us to view ourselves as God views us. We view ourselves as, oh, we, we're, we're failures. We failed again as sinners. And God views us as children who are struggling in the right direction, but occasionally spill our milk. Not to minimize sin uh, by calling it that. But God, I think, has taken that into account. And that's why we have the commands and the provisions for confession and, and also the means to walk by walking in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit. But I think we also have the motivation. So I want to talk a little bit about the motivation that grace provides. Uh, you, you can personalize this or theologize it, but how does grace motivate you to live the Christian life? Oh, great <laughs> God. God's grace. He overwhelms me with how good he is to me. And... I sincerely don't deserve it. I know you say the same thing, Charlie, when we've had conversations. Of course, of course. He just is good. He's just so good to me just because he's good. And I, I, let me, let me, um, let me first say something personal and then just throw a verse out right. there that I read recently that really struck me. Um, yeah, I, my, my testimony is I was back. I, I gave my life to Christ when I was 20, and back then I was, before that, I was into drugs. I don't need to go into the details of that, but I, it was, I was, was kind of doing the life that God was not happy with, and. Just to I clarify, when were you saved? Um, well, I'm 55, and it was uh, when I was 20, so that was so around you, 19. So you're talking about your salvation experience, okay. No, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I was saved actually at a Billy Graham crusade when I was 13. Okay. Uh, he came to Milwaukee. My dad was like, we're all going. So we all went. And anyway, there's a little bit more of a story to it. But yeah, that's, but, that's fine. I, I just wanted to clarify. Well, and, and to the point, really to the point of what we're talking about, from age 13 to 16, I was all in. I was fired for Jesus. I'm going to a high school Bible study, blah, blah, blah. 16. My friends were partying and stuff, and I and I uh, I joined in the partying, and I was pulled away. And for four years, I really just turned my back on Jesus, and um, He called me back to Himself when I was twenty, and that's really when I surrendered and said, "I'm going to follow You as my Lord." 
And, and um, so when, even when I think about that, that I turned my back on him, I slapped him in the face. I said, I don't, I know you love me. I know you saved me, but I don't care. I'm going to go have fun with my friends. And to think that I'm a pastor now and all that, it's just like, wait, that's only because of grace. It totally is because of grace. And sin in my life along the way, one I mentioned about being mean sometimes, um, and, and there's others, but, and yet he still allows me to be an ambassador for him and, and to be a voice for him. And today, even I, I had a conversation with a doctor actually, and I witnessed a little bit yet or uh, yeah, yesterday to this woman. And then today I met with her and part of my witness yesterday was, well, I'm going to be praying for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then today I just followed up. Hey, I've been praying. Tell me what happened. She's like, you can't believe what happened. Wow. Things are working out the way that we wanted them to work out. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm telling you, I believe in prayer. And it was like, she's like, I'm telling you, that was really strange that you said that. <laughs> and now it's like actually happening. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> you know, and so, and, and I, I leave that like, that was just because of God's grace. He, I think he prompted me to have that conversation with her. I think to even say, I'm going to be praying and then to have the, have it all work out in a 24 hour period where she can see in a sense, the answer to prayer in a very tangible way. I'm like, that is just because God is good and he's showing up again. Yeah. And so, um, I don't even know where, where we were going with the, oh, the so the, <laughs> the, the, the the uh, the motivation for life, God's grace, just seeing him actively working in my life and in the world around me as I'm following after him always keeps me in wonder and always keeps me energized by how alive and well and real and personal he really is. And you know, he's alive and well and personal all because of his infinite goodness to us, even though we, we're not doing anything to earn this. He's just being good to us. So the motivator to keep loving him and keep telling us about him and to keep spreading the good news of his wonderful grace is motivated because of his grace. <laughs> and yeah. the verse that, I, that I'm thinking of is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15. And just to set the stage briefly about it, um, before verse 15, the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, we go through hardships, but the life of Christ is revealed through us as we go through these hardships. And then he concludes by saying, for all things are for your sakes, so that grace, having spread to more and more people will cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. So God pours out his grace so that more people can be impacted by his grace so that more people can live this thankful life to him. And in living this thankful life to him, he gets more glory. I just, (laughs) I just am amazed at how incredibly good i know it's repetitive but of course that's what simply by grace is all about yeah how amazing good god is to us just yeah. because just because he wants to be good to us. so not to we, say that life isn't hard not to say that life doesn't have its challenges because i think everybody knows it does but you know what god shows up even in the hardships and the challenges just like i think second corinthians chapter four says uh, excellent. Now you pastor uh, the church there, and I I've been there, and you have a wonderful group of people. I really enjoy being with them, and um, uh, you evidently taught them something about grace because they seem to be a joyful church. Uh, a lot of people are struggling to live that kind of life and to grow in grace, like the Bible tells us to do, and to deepen their experience and their walk with the Lord. Uh, as a pastor, how do you, how do you communicate that to people? Is it just telling them what you've just told us and just repeating that constantly, and then trying to display that in your life, sharing those kinds of stories with them? I may, I guess I'm answering my own question, but what would you would you add anything to that? Yeah, maybe a way to sum up what you're saying is the joy of living in God's grace is more caught than taught. I think as a shepherd of the flock, 
you just live it. I have to, I, I, I really never want to put on a show. I, I'm not trying to act out what it means to be a Christian. You really have to, as a pastor, first draw near to Jesus. You have to invest in that relationship with him, which, yeah, takes prayer. Yes, it takes Bible study. Another key ingredient, and I am a pastor, but this is biblical, is being a part of a church family who also is experiencing God's grace, is also experiencing his goodness to them. And we just get to feed off of each other as far as um, spurring each other on, you know, where more and more people are just saying, thank you, God, for your wonderful goodness in my life. Um, So I think it is caught. I I, uh, recently made a statement about the Apostle Paul saying he was so captured by God's grace that there are 13 letters in the New Testament that he wrote. Each one of them at some level defends the grace of God. Wow. And, and uh, so just preaching the word, I think you can't be intellectually honest or true to the scriptures, particularly uh, when we think about the Apostle Paul, but I, I know it's in the gospel in the Gospels. I know it's in the whole New Testament. It's, it's in the Old Testament, too, quite candidly. Uh, you can't really teach the scriptures without running into and therefore being influenced by God's grace. Yeah, and when you say it's more caught than taught, it reminds me of John 1.14, where it describes Jesus as full of grace and truth. Truth would be what he taught. Grace is how he lived. And it makes me think of the story of the woman caught in adultery. He didn't teach any doctrine at that point, but in his pardoning of that, of her and telling her to go and sin no more, he certainly displayed grace. And that's something that people take away from that story. So, yeah, that's a good point to make. So it's no good for us to teach grace theological as a theological truth and not display it in our lives. It's not going to influence that many people unless they see it. And uh, I think they see it in you. And that's why your church is such a great place to be. But I appreciate that. We don't want to go away without uh, maybe you telling a little bit about some of your involvement in uh, ministry. Uh, you can tell us about your church if you want. Um, I was hoping that you might tell us about the Free Grace Alliance and explain to some people who may not be familiar what that is and what what the Free Grace Alliance is trying to do. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I'm a pastor here. I've been a pastor here for about 15 years up in Wisconsin, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, like you mentioned at the top of the podcast. Um, love this church family. Um, it's a really, it's a really good, good group of people. We have, uh, we have all grown together and we'll continue to grow together. Um, I also have had the privilege of, uh, being a part of the Free Grace Alliance for a number of years. And, um, <laughs> honestly, I kind of stumbled into the presidency of, uh, of the Free Grace Alliance, um, by knowing you, Charlie. and knowing Might have been pushed a little bit. I think I was. I think I was, but I won't accuse anybody of any wrongdoing. But um, I was first asked to be an interim president, and here we are. But I tell you, just in talking to you and in talking to other other leaders who have been around a long time, I'm I'm energized by the thought that I get to be a part of a group of people who are in an alliance with one another to get the, the, the original gospel, the pure gospel, uh, out to the world. And um, you mentioned the conference that we just had in October. We had people from all parts of the world, Pakistan. Yeah. We had Ghana. We had um, from, I actually had a, I did a, um, uh, a Zoom, it wasn't Zoom, but like a Zoom conference with people in Central and South America during the conference. It was just really, and of course, all around the, uh, the United States. It was live streamed all around the world too. Yeah. It, yeah, good point. Great point. And um, so just getting the gospel in its purest form, you and I talked about the distinction between justification and sanctification. And that's one of the one of the strong tenets of, of the Free Grace Alliance, that there is a distinction that, that, to 
be saved and, and to come into the family of God and, and know that you're going to be secure forever is solely based on the work of Jesus Christ, the finished work of him. And it's by grace through faith, period, not of works. And yet sanctification is an investment on our part in this relationship. And, uh, and the growing in this relationship. And so there's a distinction. People are saved, justified, uh, with the goal of sanctification, but not every Christian who's born again and adopted stays in the sanctification path. Right. Um, some fall away. Matter of fact, I, I was just reading the other day out of Hebrews chapter 3 that the, the uh, author of Hebrews actually warns, he says to brothers and sisters, take care brothers and sisters, that there not be in any, any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. This is speaking of Christians who mm-hmm. can actually have an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from God. Now, mm-hmm. in the Free Grace Alliance, we would say you're eternally secure once you're in the family, once you're saved, you're saved forever. But you can have an evil, unbelieving heart that turns away from God. It, the Bible calls those carnal Christians, or there's other labels. Right. But the idea is there is this distinction. So we want to preserve justification from sanctification. We want to um, we want to promote the assurance of salvation found in this our eternal security that we. God, as our birthright, wants us to have assurance. And there are so many Christians out there mm-hmm. who assurance is like, one day I feel pretty good, next day I'm not sure. Yeah. And Christian leaders out there that have that. And we are strongly saying, no, uh, God really wants us to feel really secure. In a this full world. assurance, not a partial assurance, a relative assurance, a, a full assurance. Not assurance one Amen. day, not the next. Yeah. So yeah. we have got a good group of people. We long to continue to grow the alliance. Um, if you want to check us out, just go to freegracealliance.com and uh, you can read uh, anything you want to read or listen to some of the talks. Or I think right now, all the talks from our last conference yeah. are up on yeah. our website. And uh, so you can, uh, you know, Scroll around in there and find out what we're all about. Um, if you want to support the Free Grace Alliance, we would love for you to support it. Uh, we are, we, yeah, if you want to support us, we would love for you to support us. Um, it is a not-for-profit organization. There's, uh, we have a, a, a director, an executive director, and uh, one of our goals is to get him full-time by, by next October, by the next conference. And uh, we have an online magazine that we've started. We have a podcast that we just started. Uh, we do regional conferences. So we go all around the United States. And this year, one of our goals is to have uh, at least one. And it looks like we will have two international regional conferences. And I'm excited about both of those. And uh, one is in Central America. The other one is in Ghana. So I'm pretty excited about those two that are developing. Um, I could go on and on, Charlie, but yeah. <laughs> well, I know we're, we're both Alliance, excited about it. Yeah, the point of the the point, the big word on Free Grace Alliance is alliance. We want to feel interdependent because we're we, we're stronger together than alone, and we want to encourage each other, and we really want to bring the pure original gospel to the ends of the earth. Yeah, because not everybody today agrees on the gospel. So we, we try to keep that clear, and that's our central core tenant, I think. And uh, uh, we are just uh, constantly emphasizing the, the pureness of God's grace, the freeness of God's grace, and thus the Free Grace Alliance, which we call affectionately the FGA. And uh, there's a lot of resources on the website, as, as Jeremy just said. But Jeremy has also got a couple books I want to mention or let him talk about. Um, he's written a book on Hebrews, and, you know, not everybody takes uh, a, what we call a free grace view of Hebrews. Uh, many people write as if the Hebrews were unsaved people on their way to salvation, but I think Jeremy's got the right perspective. I know Jeremy's got the right perspective in his book, and uh, tell us the name of that book, and then you've written one on John. Tell us the name of that book, and just basically uh, how it could be helpful to people. 
Yeah, I wrote a book called Companions with Christ, and uh, the subtitle is How to Walk with Jesus, a Practical Guide Through the Book of Hebrews. And uh, really, I think the main idea of the entire book of Hebrews is the Lord wants us to be his companions both now and for eternity. And I think Hebrews uh, really lays that out well. So I've taken the book of Hebrews, I've gone through every chapter, every verse, and broken it down. And then uh, a, a little addition in the back of the book, I have a study guide. So it's a great mm -hmm. tool if, say, a small group or Sunday school class or something wants to go through the book of Hebrews. This is a great book that you can go through together and, um, and then just use those study guide questions to really help your discussion. Around so the it. book so is not a technical commentary, but it is deep enough where they could really understand the book of Hebrews and have deep discussions about it if they want. That's no. a good clarifier. Yeah, it's not like just a commentary. I, I use stories. I, use, I try to keep it lighthearted. Um, not that I skirt around difficult passages or anything because I want us to understand them well, uh, but I try to take it from kind of a pastor-shepherd feel to it, not a you know, Bible school theologian. So yeah. And then the second book, is that enough for that one, Charlie? Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. And then yeah, the second book, book, I hope people do get it because there's not many commentaries or books written on Hebrews from this perspective. Um, yeah. So go ahead and talk about the John. I like the title. Yes. Yeah. John, Jesus, and me. So what motivated me to write this second book is, um, I oftentimes get in conversations with people, and first of all, they don't understand the free gift of salvation versus in, versus um, investing in the relationship that you that Jesus wants you to have with Him. And uh, I just think the Gospel of John has different passages that help us understand that distinction. And when you're talking to somebody who's maybe a, a young Christian or maybe just needs some grounding or rooting in some of these truths. Um, this book is written in a format where you read a little bit, and then I, I, I offer a question to just ponder after you read it, and then you write, you, you journal about it a little bit, then you read a little bit more, then you journal, and then you can get with your friend or a group of friends or whatever and just discuss the book. And I'm, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying that my feedback on this book is people are like, man, I just really enjoyed um, the interactive way in which you wrote it. And it really has, has offered some good conversation. And so I took 11 different passages out of the Gospel of John and really just used that format to, again, spur on discussion around what does it mean to be a child of God and enter into this relationship, the free gift of it. And what, is it, what does it take to really invest in this relationship so I can really draw near to Jesus and really know him in a personal way? Sounds like a great book where people could write down their thoughts and then come together as a group and share them and um, talk about the book and deepen each other's lives from their observations. But um, now the book, are both of them published? Uh, I'll let you tell us where to get a hold of them and who, who, who the publisher yeah. yeah, the publisher is uh, Grace Theology Press, which is uh, the publishing arm of Grace School of Theology, which is where I'm getting my doctorate from. Uh, and they're available on all, in all book places, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Books, uh, Christian Book Distributors, I think it's called. Uh, any of those places, it's they're they're out there. They're they're available uh, for. Purchase. Are they in Kindle version? Kindle version as well. That's yeah, correct. Yeah. And then if people wanted to hear you, and I, uh, Jeremy is an excellent preacher, and if people wanted to hear some of your sermons, I'm sure they could probably find them on your website at your church. Besides the yep. website, they'd find a few, but at your church, they'd find your series. And what's the church website? Yeah. Well, if you have a pen handy. Make sure you got a long line to write it because we have a really long website address. Well, they can it's, rewind this tape. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said I'm in Manitowoc, Wisconsin. So it's faithchurchmanitowoc.org. Faithchurchmanitowoc. Manitowoc is M-A-N-I-T-O-W-O-C. Anyway, you'll, you'll get a spell corrector to get it. But faithchurchmanitowoc.org. Yep, we have our 
sermons on there. Uh, actually, we live stream on Sunday mornings um, on YouTube and on Facebook and even on our website. So those, uh, even if you go to YouTube and you search Faith Church Manitowoc, you can look at the sermons there too. Or, or People are always asking where they can hear good free grace preaching. And, and there you go, live stream and also recorded sermons on your website. Well, Jeremy, I think we've taken a lot of your time today. I really do appreciate you visiting with us and sharing your insights. Uh, I know you're a man committed to this message, and uh, we hope that uh, this podcast helps people understand who they are in Jesus Christ and the importance of the gospel in, um, in giving them that new identity and that new life. And uh, we just really appreciate you showing up. Well, I am uh, I, I'm sincerely humbled and honored to be asked, and I appreciate our relationship. And I hope this uh, does help people understand that by God's wonderful grace, which again defined as his infinite goodness to us, even though we don't deserve it, um, by his wonderful grace, he so wants to be involved in our lives and he so wants to make a difference and he wants, and really we just have to keep turning ourselves to him, keep relying upon him, keep inviting him into every component of our lives and i guarantee you you'll see him actively working and you'll be blown away by his grace yeah amen i think those are good closing words for us so thank you my friend i love you and um we'll we'll look forward to working together in the future thank you charlie appreciate it all right well you have a good day and god bless thank you for listening for more resources or to help spread the message of God's life-changing grace, visit our website at gracelife.org. We'd love to hear from you. Send us a message at simplybygrace at gracelife.org. See you next time.